<laughs> hey, first of all, let me just say how grateful uh, Colleen and I are to be with you, not just for this Sunday, but for the entire month of July. We're going to be doing a series. And I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but I just want to say, I want to talk for just a moment to the other campuses, if you don't mind, here at Norcross. I want to first of all say I Welcome to everybody from the Midtown campus with Pastor Mo and Kendra. Come on, let's welcome Midtown. They are with us this morning. Welcome to, to Pastor Darius and Melba at North Cobb up there past Marietta. We love you. We welcome you. And welcome to Chris and Lisa Frith and all the people at Hamilton Mill. We welcome you. And welcome to our largest campus, which is our online campus, pastored by Stephen Hathaway and his team. So let's welcome our online campus. We appreciate you. Hey, this is, this is awesome. It's a full house on, in July, right after July 4th. I love this. The, I, I really believe that over the next month, we are going to have an encounter with God. I don't know about you, but I'm, 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 I'm excited about it. In fact, I woke up this morning for the first time and I can't remember the last time I felt this way. I'm nervous. I'm not a nervous pastor. I've, I've spoken thousands of times. I'm not nervous to speak. What I'm nervous about is the weight of this message. And I know how weighty it is. And so, and especially, you know, right after holiday and July and all this kind of stuff, we, we generally don't hear these kind of messages in the middle of the summer. But how many of you know God doesn't really operate based on July or August or December? He doesn't really function based on our seasonal wants and not wants, right? Sometimes he just interrupts us. And if we could, I'd like to have God interrupt us in the middle of the summer and introduce us to something. So I want to pray, and then we'll just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the next few moments together in all of our campuses, all of our online audience, and everybody that's here. I know what's coming in this word. I know what's coming over the next few weeks is going to be very unique, very special, and very powerful. And so I want to help you. I want to ask you to help us. I'm sorry. Help us to be able to accommodate it, to be able to be receptors of the word of God, even if it, even if it challenges us, even if it corrects us, even if it calls us to a higher walk with God, whatever it is, God, we want to come closer to you. And my prayer is that you will use this moment together. I'm, I'm just going to be one of the many vessels over the next year to deliver messages. And I just ask for this moment, very soberly, just use me. Uh, and, and help me to share things only that you want me to share, Holy Spirit, not what I've written down, not what I plan to say, but just what you want me to say in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Now, let, let, let me just say this ahead of time. It's very important to understand this about when you come to church. When you come to church to hear a message, the most important part of the message is not what I'm about to say. The most important part of the message is what the Holy Spirit says to you about what I'm about to say. In other words, you hear the voice of God talk, talking to you specifically. So in, in every message, you'll, you'll notice this, in every message there'll be moments where the Holy Spirit will speak to you directly about that particular thing that was just shared. And that's where you cannot go on. You've got to, you've got to make sure you receive that. And so, I'm going to share with you several things, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to say things to you today that maybe you haven't heard in a while. And, and if you haven't heard them in a while, don't shut them down just because they're challenging. Amen? Just ask yourself, does this align with what the Holy Spirit is saying? Not what my flesh is saying, not what my mind is saying, but what is the Holy Spirit saying? All right. So let me give you a little history on this, on this particular series so you can kind of catch up with where, we, where we're going with this thing. Several years ago, before we transitioned, the Lord began to speak to Colleen and I about our transition and the, 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 the reality that we were living in a very tumultuous and serious time and that the future was not necessarily going to get better but more challenging and that there was something that God wanted to do in us uh, for the next stage of our life, next phase of our life, to take the message that we've been preaching for years here at Victory 
outside of the church, take it to other churches, take it to other parts of the world to get it outside. And there started the process of the transition. We had to ask God to show us the leaders, which was at that time we heard Johnson and Summer Bowie were going to become the senior pastors. We knew it wasn't just them that would transition into the role, but other leaders would come in and take the place of some of our more, you know, more senior leaders. And it would be a transition in our church that we would go through. And transitions are always painful, always challenging because it's change. But we had no idea that we were going to also at the same time encounter COVID. And COVID didn't just impact our church, it impacted churches worldwide. And it caused a great departure from the church and a great departure from the faith. In fact, they estimate in our country somewhere around a third of Christianity sort of left the faith in some capacity, stopped going to church. And churches emptied and approximately 200 churches a week were closing their doors. Missionaries were coming off the field and it was, this was happening in our country like we'd never seen before. And now we're in this what we call a recovery state. People are coming out of the, the two years of, of challenging times with COVID. And we're starting to finally peek our head outside and look out and see that there's still a world out there that we have to reach. And it's not just reaching it through the internet. We now have to reach it personally. Amen. Then... Fast forward to the beginning of this year when we were praying, Colleen and I were praying about the, our church, specifically our church, and Johnson was sharing the vision of our church and where we were going and how many people, 100,000 people to reach here locally and 900,000 people to reach globally, which is a huge number. And I'm praying, Lord, how do we mobilize the church more towards evangelism? How This is the year, in essence, of evangelism in our church. How do we mobilize the church? I preached hundreds of messages down through the years on evangelism. And we'll get people in our congregation all juiced up about winning people to Christ in their neighborhoods, in their workplace. And we'll do outreaches. We'll do all kinds of things. And that'll last for about three weeks after the sermon series. And then we just kind of go right back to our old ways. And we stop bringing people to Christ. One night I'm praying about this and I'm really thinking about this deeply and it's causing me to have a dream in February. And in this dream, God's talking to me about the church and he's challenging me and I'm, at, I'm having this dialogue in the prayer. I'm, I'm having this dialogue at night in, in my dream with God and I'm asking God, I'm saying, God, how can we get the church to be more evangelistic? How can we get the church to be more impactful in the community because we're living in a season right now where there seems to be a great departure from the faith and the church seems to be sw swinging in that direction. A lot of people we thought were Christians turn out not to be Christians. And as soon as a little difficulty came, they stopped serving God. And the Lord said to me, he said three words, and these are the three words, be like Jesus. Let's say that together. Be like Jesus. Now, I want you to feel the weight of that, because when you think of that, think it through a little bit, the ramifications of that, you have to ask yourself this question, am I like Jesus? And the reality is most of us, including myself, would say, no, no, we're not like Jesus. And when you ask the average person that doesn't go to church or that doesn't serve God or doesn't believe in God, why they don't go to church. Here's what the average answer is. I like Jesus. I, don't dis I, I like Jesus. I just don't like the people that serve him. There's a big disconnect between who Jesus is and the people that serve him. And the reality of it is, is we just have to be sober to the fact that maybe, maybe we have not made it a goal in our life to be like Jesus. Now, in the process of this, I'm, I'm also kind of in this, uh, trying to understand what's coming, and I, and I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, you know, you need to understand this, and this is not a prophetic word, this is just what I believe the Lord said to me about the future. He said, you are living in the end. He said, you're living in the end. Now, not that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, or I have a specific date, March 13th, 2025. And, you know, when you ever hear people give dates, just, just kind of throw that to the side because it says nobody knows the day or the hour. It's very biblical that nobody knows that, but it does say it will catch people off guard. And he says, you'll know the season. 
and the time. And I'm thinking to myself, how privileged, I don't know if you think this way, how privileged am I that over thousands of years of humanity that I would be alive at the end and that God would count me worthy to represent Jesus to a world when all of it starts to culminate, when everything starts to unfold. And so I'm, I'm going into the, to, to studying the church and the world and what's going on in the world, and I'm seeing that there are pockets in the world where God is moving in a powerful way even during COVID. In fact, one of the nations where God has moved the most in the last 30 to 40 years has been China. China. <laughs> now, when you think about China, you don't usually think of China as a place where the gospel is growing. But in fact, the fastest and most incredible move of God in the history of the world started happening in China in the 1970s. And from the 1970s, to the next 20 years, over 100 million people would come to Christ. And yet, it was in a country where the gospel was illegal. Where if you were caught preaching the gospel or speaking about Jesus publicly or inviting people to a church that was called the underground church, you would be arrested, you would be tortured, you would be put in prison and sometimes put to death. And literally millions of Christians lost their lives in the 70s because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So I started studying the underground church. How is it that the gospel grows when it's in a very persecuted nation? In fact, Iran right now, one of the more persecuted nations of the world, they're saying approximately 3,000 people are coming to Christ every week in Iran right now in an underground church. And if they're found out, they're, they're not only tortured, they're killed. Their heads are cut off. And I'm thinking, here we are in America, and it's all we can do to get people to come to church on Sunday morning. And yet, here people are giving their lives. And so I, I looked at the, the kind of manifesto of the Chinese underground church, because I was there a few years ago, and I met the five uncles of the underground church. And I don't know how I got asked to do this, but I was speaking to leaders in the underground church that were pastoring these 100 million people, and I, and I met the five uncles. We went out to dinner with them. Farrell Brown, our missions pastor, and myself went out to dinner with them. So I went back, and I started studying it, and I found out there were five principles in the underground church, and, and you're going to resonate with the first four. The first one is they had a complete commitment to the Word of God. The Word of God was the truth, and the truth uh, as far as God is concerned, it's what's in the word, not how you feel, not how you think. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, that's a huge thing for people today because not everybody believes the word of God, but that was number one. Number two, they had a regular dependency on God through prayer. They prayed regularly. Prayer is the highest form of dependency on God. Prayer is the highest statement to God that you trust him, that you believe him, and, you be and that you are dependent on him. When you don't pray, what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. I, I, I got this. I, I'm, I'm cool without you. The third thing is they had a lifestyle of evangelism. It was not something they did when they had a sermon series on it or they had somebody pump them up one weekend about it. It was every single day people were coming to Christ in, like the book of Acts, it says they were added to the church daily such as should be saved. People were getting saved regularly on a regular basis. Now, just think about that for just a moment. On, on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, we're a pretty full house today. And, and in, before COVID, we would be in the overflow rooms. We would, everything would be full. And you'd have, sometimes people wouldn't be able to make it in the parking lots. But you understand that if every one of you just led one person to Christ every six months, this building could not contain all the people that would come you understand that, right? And, and, and so what we, we have to recognize, we're probably not leading people to Christ. We're probably going about our daily business and not really thinking about that. But this was not the case in the underground church. And then number four, they believed in the supernatural. The power of God is still operating today like it did 2,000 years ago. 
They, did, they believe that God still does miracles, still heals people. That Jesus is the same as he was 2,000 years ago. He went about doing good and healing all who've been oppressed. How many of you know we still need to cast demons out of people? We still need people to get healed. That didn't end 2,000 years ago. Those things are still necessary today. In fact, they might be more necessary today than they were 2,000 years ago. I don't know if demons can multiply, but it sure feels like they can. <laughs> Those four are the typical things that we can track with, but number five is the hard one. And that is they had a willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, when you think about your American Christianity and I think about my American Christianity, I don't really think that most of us have grown up with this desire to suffer for Christ. That, that suffering is a part of our equation. In fact, I will just say living in America, suffering is something to be avoided at all costs. And we have not been trained to suffer because we don't live in a suffering nation such as China or Iran or someplace like that where we would suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, we will, we will suffer. We suffer for our bad decisions. We suffer because we don't take care of our bodies. We suffer because we sin. We suffer for the wrong reasons. But suffering for Christ is a new thought for most of us because we're not used to suffering. So here we, here's our dilemma in America. We're preaching an Eastern gospel that tells us to be like Christ and have the fellowship of his sufferings in our life, and we're living in a nation that doesn't know how to suffer and doesn't want suffering at all, suffering at all costs. In fact, we'll go into trillions of dollars of debt to avoid people suffering, and eventually we can't do that anymore. All right, so now, launching forward. I'm thinking, okay, how do I become like Christ? How do I be more like Jesus? And this is the scripture, 1 John chapter 4, in, in, in verse 17. This, this is the one that, that I kept hearing the Lord point me towards. And it's, this is the New King James Version. He says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, the goal of the disciples was to be like Jesus. As Jesus was in the earth, we are to be like him. So let me just boil it down to you. This is how the Lord said it to me. He said, as you set your future, as you set your goals for the future, as you think forward about where you're going, what you want to accomplish, what you want to do, setting your goals for whatever, he said, instead of setting financial goals, instead of setting all these goals of where you want to go and visit and be, he said, what if you just narrowed your life down to this one simple goal, be like Jesus? What if your goal was be like Jesus? So <laughs> I, I, I just realized, boy, if, if I'm like Jesus, a lot of things that are causing me trouble stop causing me trouble. Now think about this, if you're married, think about this, if you're married and you're having trouble in your marriage, it's because you're not being like Jesus. Now that's just the bottom line. I mean, uh, look at your spouse, it's because we're not being like Jesus. <laughs> it, you'll never see a husband and a wife that are like Jesus divorcing. You'll never see it. Whenever you see divorce, at least one of them stop being like Jesus. And you always think it's the, uh, it's the other one that's not like Jesus. <laughs> Never think it's you, right? <laughs> if you're working for a company and, and, and you're having trouble with your coworkers and blah, 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 I can almost guarantee you, you can correct that, you can correct that by being like Jesus. A lot of our people problems, our relational problems, uh, if, I'm, if I'm married, and I'm, I know if I'm being like Jesus, I'm going to have a strong marriage. But if I'm single, how do I deal with loneliness and, and my relational challenges and so forth? Can I just say a, a single person that's like Jesus is not lonely? Uh-oh. They're not lonely. If you're like Jesus, you're not lonely. The only reason you're lonely is because you're seeking something that's bigger to you than Jesus. That's more important to you than Jesus. So I, I had our, 
I had our staff do this for me. I said, I, I, need, I need a bracelet because I know this about myself. I need something not to, not to be a witnessing tool. I need an accountability tool. I need something to remind me to be like Jesus. So they made this, these bracelets, and I, I got one in white and one in black, and it just says, be like Jay, be like Jay. And the reason I did it that way is because in case, you know, you go into a place where it's, it's like, it's a little too controversial to have the name, religious name Jesus, or it makes people ask a little bit of a question, what is Jay? <laughs> but I already know what Jay is. Jay is Jesus. And, 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 He's not my homeboy. No, no. He's not my pal, my buddy. He's the Lord. And I, and I know this, that if I'm wearing this bracelet, I'm wearing this bracelet, it holds me accountable. All right? So the other day, Colleen and I were having a little argument, and, and we're having this little fight, and, and, and she looks at it, and she says, what's that on, what's that on your wrist? <laughs> are, in this argument, are you being like Jesus? Ah. I, can, I can just tell you this. I can just tell you this. Guys, if any of you here are having an affair on your wife and you put a bracelet like this on, you can't have an affair on your wife. You can't be sitting there having sex outside of marriage with this thing on your wrist. You can't be typing in pornography and looking at naked people and having sex with this on your wrist. You can't do it. Right? Think about all the stuff that we just kind of compromise, we, we do in our life because we stopped setting the goal of being like Jesus. All right, so the more I'm like Jesus, now here's the key, the more I'm like Jesus, the less I'm like the world. The church was its most powerful when it was least like the world. So this, this whole concept of Jesus just fascinates me and, and I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around it and I feel like the Lord said, Think about Jesus. Think about when he was on the earth. What was it about Jesus? He only lived 33 years on the earth. And of those 33 years, he didn't have an earthly ministry until he was 30 to 33. So only three years of actual earthly ministry. And in those three years, he so impacted the small world that was around him in Israel and primarily in Jerusalem that the gospel continued to live after him to the point where we're on now 2,000 years on the other side of him, almost 2,000 years, and literally two billion people believe in Jesus. And there's no doubt, you, I don't care who you are, you can be the most secular, atheistic, humanistic person in the world. You cannot argue with the fact that of all the human beings that have ever walked or lived or breathed on the earth, there is nobody that has had more influence on the world than Jesus. Nobody, Muhammad, Buddha, none of those people because they all died and that was it. Jesus died and rose again. He's still living, he's still alive. And when they lived, it was all about your good works. When with Jesus, he realized you can't be perfect. You haven't got it in your DNA to be perfect. You were born in sin. You didn't have to learn how to sin, you had to learn not to sin. And on the journey of learning not to sin, he died on the cross, shed his blood for your sins so that you could be made righteous. That's the only way you can get into heaven. And there was something about Jesus that when he walked into a place, when he walked into a town or he walked into a group of people, there was an aura about him. There was an aroma. There was a, a sense of holiness about Jesus that caused people to just be in awe of who he was. And it either drew people or it repelled people. It drew people who wanted to do right and wanted God, and it repelled people who didn't want to do right. It repelled them to the point where they put him on a cross to try to get rid of him. But they can't get rid of him because he's God. People cannot get rid of you when Jesus is living inside of you. When Jesus is living inside of you, it doesn't matter who's against you. The whole world could be against you, but greater is he who is in this world than he that's, greater is he that's, that, that's living in this world with Jesus than those things that come against you in this world. 
You have the greater one living inside of you. All right, so Paul writes it this way. Let's get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's what he says. But thanks be to God who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. In other words, we're supposed to be putting off a smell. But the smell is not your human smell. It's the smell of Christ on you. And it says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to another the aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Let me say that to all of our campus. Who is equal to such a task? And he says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. In other words, we're not up here trying to get you to give money to get something. We're not trying to be about money. We're trying to be about the gospel. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those who are being sent by God. All right. So he's saying there's something about a person who understands being like Christ is when they live in the earth, they put off something. They put off an aroma. To some it's life, to some it's death. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to put off the aroma of Christ. But I'm asking myself, do I put off the aroma of Christ? When I'm in a room, is there a sense of godliness? Is there a sense of purity? Is there a sense of living right before God? Or do I put off something else? Now, here's the thing the Lord said to me, and this is important to understand about evangelism and leading people to Christ and everything. He said, listen to me. He says, you are not responsible, you and I are not responsible to make someone believe in Jesus. We're not responsible to do that because you can't do that. You cannot make someone believe and receive Jesus. You are responsible to be the image of Jesus to people. And then you put off an aroma of death, an aroma of life, and then it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to convict people of sin and bring them to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Yay, Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking that responsibility off my back. So quit worrying about bringing somebody to Christ that you can't seem to get them saved. That's not your responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Your responsibility is to be like Jesus. You and I are sometimes the only Jesus people will ever see. You're, you're to be a reflector of Jesus. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're an ambassador of light, not of darkness. And so at some point you have to drill down, what does it look to be like Jesus? So the first word, and this is the hardest part of being like Jesus and the most difficult, and so I thought we're gonna do this the first, I'm gonna take this on for all the campuses because I don't wanna put this on our campus pastors because I don't want them, people to get mad at them. All of you can get mad at me when I share this. But the number one thing, the first thing that I think of when I think about Jesus it's not love, it's not faith. I mean, these are all parts of who Jesus is, but the number one thing I think about is holiness. The holiness of God. The Bible says that, that God is set up now in a throne and there are angels around that throne and they, they, they're, they're literally, they can only say one thing. They can only say one thing in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When Jesus was on the earth, he was the only person that had ever lived and died without sin. That was what separated him from all of humanity. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. He was the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He was without sin. Even though people accused him of sin, really what they were accusing him of was the conviction they were feeling of the things that he reflected to them about sin. They got mad at him to the point where they put him on a cross. And let me just tell you this. Not everybody that lives around you is happy that you're like Jesus. <laughs> including family members. Including co-workers. And, 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 and your job is not to live to please them. Your job is to live to please Jesus. To be like Jesus. 
But there is a constant peer pressure on you in this world to conform to people in the world, to be like the world, to be like people in the world. So what we've seen happen over the last several years is the church slowly shifting to be more like the world instead of like Jesus. So when you talk about things in the Bible, now you have to almost apologize for what the Bible says, lest people get offended at what you're going to say. When you start talking about things that about holiness, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're saying that. That offends me. When you say something like abortion is evil, people go, ah, I can't believe you said that. I believe in abortion. I agree with abortion. How can you agree with abortion and believe in Jesus and serve God? You think Jesus is supportive of abortion? He's in support of, you said, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. Let me tell you where it was your body, when you had sex. That's when it was your body. But once you produce a child, that child is not your body anymore. It may live in your body, but it is not your body. And it is not your choice to murder them. It is not your choice to call for them to die. And when we make it our choice to take people's lives and we devalue humanity, we are basically saying we are not like Jesus. We are like the world. Now, I just said that, and for some of you, it, can, it flips you out, especially the online audience that's kind of an ocean, not a, not, a, not, a la- not a lake. You know, it's an ocean of folks. That flips people out because there's so many people that have been so brainwashed by the world that they don't know right from wrong, good from evil. And we're living in a time right now where more and more people, especially young people, are turning away from God and turning to humanism and atheism. And let me tell you what is that the core of humanism and atheism is there is no God. And here's, there's, this is how, with there is no God, and this is what is the state of a lot of the world today, then what is God is how I feel and how I think. What is God is how I feel and what I think. So therefore, if I don't think this way and I don't feel this way, then that can't be God. Now, I came to this conclusion when I was 22 that the way I feel and the way I think is probably wrong. It's hard for young people to admit that. I don't know everything. And maybe my feelings are lying to me. How many of you have ever discovered your feelings are sometimes good and sometimes your feelings will tell you things that are not good? Sometimes your feelings will entice you into darkness and, you, and once you do go into darkness, the only way you can justify living in it is you make it good. You make it okay with God. That's why you could live with somebody without being married to them and feel okay with God because so many in the world do it. And go to church on Sunday morning and listen, worship God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. And, and, and here's what I'm learning about the younger generation. They've got literally, they're living, growing up in a generation where parents do not teach them right from wrong, good from evil. And so they don't know it. And then they might slip into a church like this and hear Papa D say something to them about good and evil. And they go, oh, oh. <laughs> what I'm doing is evil. <laughs> All right. Let's define holiness. Let's define holiness because holiness is important to understand. If you, if, you, if you just put one word that defines holiness, it's the word separate. Separate. The word separate. God is separate from us in the sense of holiness. He's, he's, he's so holy that we really literally cannot come into his presence. In the Old Testament, you could not come into the presence of God without dying. Because there's no place for unholiness in the presence of holiness. It's, it's a repelling. And what happens is he's so different, so unique. I, I, I would also define separate as unique, distinct, different than everything else. So holiness means you're living in a world that's like one way and you're another way. You, you believe in holiness, which is going to separate you from this world. You're going to live in the world, but you're going to be separated from the world. That's why the Bible says, come out of the world and be separate, says the Lord. 
Touch not the unholy things or the unclean things, for it has righteousness fellowship with darkness. Righteousness and darkness do not have fellowship. Amen. So holiness is basically saying, I'm coming out of the world. Now, this was my big barrier. As a, as a new person trying to le learn about Christ, uh, before I came to Christ in my early 20s, I knew that the barrier I had between me and God was my unholiness, my unrighteousness. I, I, I was not living right. And, I, and, I, and, and here's what the Bible says. The, the Bible says, when you become a believer, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, if I want to see the Lord, if I want to experience the Lord, at some point I've got to make a decision. I don't know everything. My feelings are lying to me. I've got to submit myself to God's word and I've got to pursue holiness. All right, so now, <clears throat> what that looked like for me, it may be what it looked like for you, is it was challenging. It was challenging. So I'm, I'm reading through the Bible. I come across scriptures, and I'm just going to pick out one because it's so, so, so strong that, you know, it just kind of says it like it is. How many of you know, Paul, when he was writing, he was not politically correct. He was not taking into account the feelings of the millennial generation of that day. <laughs> he was not saying what everybody thought he should say. It was not popular. Amen. And when he would write these letters, I'm sure people were like, I can't believe he said that. So I'm going to read something you can't believe he said. I'm going to read it, all right? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is where you have to decide, do I believe it or not believe it? Do I want to submit to it or not? Verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I'm not going to let anything that's out there uh, take control of my life. And then the first thing he starts with, you think he starts with sex, but what's the first thing he starts with? Food. Come on, somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but I never considered food to be a stronghold, but now I do. As you get older, you realize, I like food. And there are times where it, how many, it controls me. Come on, somebody. Sunday afternoon, we get out of church. I'm thinking baby back ribs at Houston's. Come on, Jesus. Let's go forget the ramifications of what that has on your body. You and I know that our bodies are affected by the food we put in it. Now, this is not a dietary lesson. I'm just trying to get you to understand that there are certain things designed to control your flesh, right? And sugar and, you know, fatty thing. They're all designed. We grow up, I grew up in a country. I ate fried foods. Come on. I, it, and, it, and I never thought of holiness as eating right. But then I went and married that. My wife. That wife thou gavest me, God. I can't eat nothing. I got to sneak around. I got to I mean, are you, are you going to eat that? You, you, you've already had that before. You, you can't have that again. How many French fries are you going to eat? All of them. <laughs> foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Then he goes into the real serious stuff. Now the body is not for sexual immorality. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath raised both up the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So I gotta learn holiness in the body. My body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Or in modern day vernacular, a hoe. Am I going to be a member of the whole? <laughs> we have to laugh because it's painful, right? <laughs> Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined with a hoe is one body with her? Now, it uses the vernacular of her being the hoe, but I'm just going to just 
for equal opportunity's sake, there are plenty of male hoes out there. Uh, uh, I, I, was a, I was a hoe. And I, when I got saved, I, I ain't gonna be a hoe no more. It ain't gonna be no hoe no more. <laughs> Sorry. For the two, look, look what happens. For the two, when you join yourself to a hoe, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. It's a spiritual thing that happens. But he was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God and you're not your own for you were bought at a price so you can't just do whatever you want with your body. It's not your body, you can do whatever you want. Not my body, my choice. Your body belongs to God now. When you surrender to Christ, your body belongs to God. Can you think for one moment that Jesus says, well, my body, I can do whatever I want. I can have sex with women if I want to, uh, that I'm not married to. I, I, I can look at pornography. Can you see Jesus doing that, looking at pornography? Can you, can you see Jesus having sex with another man? No, really, honestly, can you see that happening? Can you, is that the image you have of Jesus? Because if that is, you need to go back and read your Bible. Jesus is holy. And holiness says there's only one kind of sex that's actually pure and undefiled, and that's sex between a man and a woman that are married. That are married. <laughs> and all the single people, oh, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm gonna give you an old Pastor D saying, how you doing with that? <laughs> no, really. How you doing with that? How you doing with that, Midtown? See, when people say, uh, my body, my choice, I can do whatever I want with my body, uh, I'm attracted, I feel this way, because I feel this way, then it must be the way God created me. No, let me just ex explain something to you about your body. When you were born in this earth, you were born with sin in your heart. You were born, every human being was born with sinful desires. Some sinful desires might be for the opposite sex. Some sinful desires might be for the same sex. They're all sinful desires. I'm not putting opposite sex or, sex or same sex, like one's worse than the other. It's all sex sin outside of marriage. So we're not elevating one over the other or calling one worse than the other. But here's the point. When people say, I was born this way, we were all born this way. Every human was born with sinful desires. I had to learn when I got saved how to stop sinning with my body. I had to stop and the only way that you can change the way you do with your body and your sinful desires, as Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. You cannot change your behavior without being born again where the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and empowers you over your physical desires. That's why Paul said, I die daily to my body. I have to die every single day. Holiness is not a one-time event. Holiness is a day-by-day-by-day-by-day event. That's why I like the bracelet. The bracelet gives me an opportunity every day. Lord, and here's the scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 1. Today, I offer up my body to you as a willing sacrifice. In other words, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to suffer in this body if that's necessary, whether it's eating, whether it's sex, whatever it is. I'm offering it up as a willing sacrifice to be what? Holy, which is my reasonable service to God of worship. This is how I worship you. I don't just worship you with words. I don't worship you with music, with lifting my hands. I worship you every day with this body. Every day. If I wanna be like Jesus, my body belongs to you. And then the second area, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. The second area of holiness, and there's a lot of areas of holiness I haven't got time to get into, but these two are the main ones. Your body, number two, is your mind. Holiness in your mind. Basically, this is, I offer up my body to you as a willing sacrifice. This is a prayer I pray on a regular basis, and then I thank you, God. And here's what it says in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> he, says, he says, do not conform the, to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Holiness in the mind. What happens in the mind, I wish I had time to get into it, is the devil puts things in your mind that are not from God, and you believe them, and they become strongholds. And that's why he says over here, I'm gonna read one more scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So here's two questions I ask myself. These are two questions. These are great questions. If you'll put these down, and ask yourself these questions when you're trying to make a decision about something. Here's the questions. Number one, well, whatever I'm about to do, participate in, be a part of, will this add positive quality to my life? Is this gonna be a positive or a negative? Is this gonna add or take away? This R-rated movie where people are having sex, is this gonna add quality to my life or is this gonna take away from my life? Pornography, is that adding quality or taking away from my life? It's the same way with eating. Is, is this food I'm about to eat, does it add quality to my life? It's a good way to think through. So number two, will this control me or lessen Christ's control over me? Will this control me or lessen Christ's control over me? Everything you do in your body, listen to me, starts in your mind. Everything starts in the mind. So you've got to protect, guard your mind. You cannot just throw garbage in your mind and expect to get good things coming out. You have to renew your mind through the word of God. You have to offer up your body as a willing sacrifice. And listen to me, it's hard to do that. That's why I put this bracelet on. I put the bracelet on to remind me every day, okay, today I need to offer my body up to the Lord. Today, I need to renew my mind. I need to pull down every argument. And here's what the devil does. Here's what he'll say. Has God really said? This is what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Has God really said you should not eat of the fruit of good and evil? Has he, not, has he really said you shouldn't have sex before marriage? Has he said there's anything wrong with living together? Is there anything wrong with being attracted to the same sex? Has God really said there's anything wrong with this? Has God said anything wrong with this? I mean, I don't want to be a you know, super holy guy. Why? Yes, God has said it. And I know for some of us that are young, we're new, we're just coming to the church, it's like, <gasps> my mom and daddy never said that. Well, let me be your mama and daddy for just one moment, just one moment and tell you the truth that will set you free. The truth is God wants you to be holy and he wants you to pursue holiness, not just every once in a while think about it. It's a pursuit in your life. A pursuit of holiness over a pursuit of other things, a pursuit of gratification, a pursuit of money, a pursuit of entertainment, a pursuit of you know, being popular. All those things are pursuits of people in the world, but you're holy, which means you're separated, different, unique, distinct, not like the world. And once you start to pursue holiness, listen to me, you start looking like Jesus. You start looking and feeling like Jesus. And it, you don't come across self-righteous or I'm holier than thou or any of that kind of stuff because you know that without Jesus, you can do nothing. You are nothing. You can't change anything in your own strength. But with Jesus, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. All right. So let's, let's bring it home right now. All the campuses, listen to me carefully. Let's bring it home. Let's wrap it up. If you're here today and you say, okay, I want to get on this journey with you. I, I, I want to I walk this journey with you. For the next month, let's, let's start, let's prime the pump and let's each day, each Sunday, we'll learn another principle of Jesus and each principle will build upon the other. 
and each principle will add value to you, that by the time we finish this in about five weeks, you're gonna be at least knowing what Jesus is like and then you have a goal set before you. And every day you get up every day and you wanna be like Jesus. And so I'm, I'm challenging you. I, you know, I made this, this bracelet for myself, but I also made one for you. I made one for you. I got lots of them out there. I got an equal opportunity, black one and a white one. Maybe you white people ought to wear black ones and your black people ought to wear white ones. I don't know, just I love the other race. I'm wearing both of them. So I wouldn't offend you. But, but the, the bottom line is this. <clears throat> I, don't wear, listen, I don't wear this to be a witnessing tool, even though it might be. I wear this to be an accountability tool. Because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I may not be like you. I know my flesh, there's no good thing. And any day I could fall into sin, any day I could do something that's not like Jesus. And I want, I, I don't know about you, but I want to be... I want to be like Jesus. And I feel the weight of that in our church because I know if we could be like Jesus, we could change the world. Jesus changed the world. One person changed the world. And if you're like him, the world that you live in can be altered. So I want to ask you today if you want to be like Jesus. And I'm gonna put a little peer pressure on you. If you wanna be like Jesus, and you say, today I wanna start this journey. I'm, I'm, if there's something in my life I need to let go of today, I'm letting go of it. I really do want to be like Jesus. And, and I wanna set that as a goal for my life. If that's you today in this campus and all the other campuses, I want you to stand up to your feet. Just stand up. If that's you, I want you to stand up. I'm not looking around at people that aren't standing. I just want anybody that wants to stand up. You wanna be like Jesus. Now, I'll just tell you, I know it exerts pressure, peer pressure on people that are sitting down. Don't, don't look at people that are sitting down. <laughs> They're standing for what they believe. That's what they believe. But if you wanna be like Jesus, that's cool. But we're gonna make a, a profession of our faith. I don't want you to close your eyes and lift your hands and let's say this together. Jesus, right here, right now, in the middle of July, I repent of my sins. Anything in my life that doesn't look like Jesus, I put it on the altar, and today, I die to it. I let go of my past, all my sins, and I ask you to forgive me. Today, I commit to starting this journey to be like you. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, come into my heart, into my body, into my mind, and transform me into a person that looks like you. Today, I'm going to be like Jesus in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give him praise.